Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today. Mason Menega is here to speak with me about the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Welcome, Mason. Thank you so much uh, for having me. This is just really exciting. Uh, I, I've got my wine uh, because I am just like Jesus in the fact that I thirst, and so I've got my wine and I'm ready to go. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, um, we connected via Twitter some time ago. Actually, um, you helped me out with some information about a, a theological seminary that that um, might sort of be a fit. I'm I'm actively kind of looking oh, at that as a, as a possibility for my future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll save that for off the great. air. But why don't you um, tell folks a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Yeah, so I am Mason Meninga. I am a Bigfoot enthusiast. I love trashy reality TV. And I'm also a Christian who happens to do a lot of my work uh, publicly. So I end up having a podcast uh, called The People's Theology, where I, I explore inspiring and liberating theologies. And then I also have a YouTube channel uh, where I have videos of me talking about the kind of theology that I'm really interested in. And so that's what I do in the world, uh, among many other things. But yeah, that's, I, I guess, what people probably know me for. Uh, and then I guess people know me mostly on Twitter uh, for saying really snarky things. And uh, I very much enjoy uh, <laughs> just being kind of a shithead on Twitter. Uh, it's very enjoyable for me and seems like it's enjoyable for a lot of other people. So that's me in a nutshell, I guess. I uh, I think I saw that you just started a TikTok as well. Is I that did. Right? I mean, it, it really is just me recycling clips of my YouTube videos onto TikTok. Uh, and they actually, <laughs> weirdly enough, I, I have no idea how TikTok works. I'm not like even a person that watches TikToks really other than like when friends send me them. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess they, they're doing okay. And I just like don't know how it works. I, I feel I feel like <laughs> a grandmother on Facebook. I really do feel that way on TikTok, but, but it's gone well. Yeah, I've been trying to put I've been trying to put um, clips from the show up there, and it's I yeah, like you said, it's like I don't even understand what wins and loses on that right. site. You know, like what what gets traction and what doesn't, and uh, but it is uh, it's definitely an interesting place, and there are a lot of interesting uh, Christian voices on there. Yeah. Some of them uh, obviously more traditional. Some of them. Uh, as some people call trad, and uh, some of them uh, part of the deconstruction movement, some uh, evangelical. I mean, it's kind of like a, it, it's a great place really to, to be a soundboard for, for really brief, uh, pithy, and sometimes totally inane uh, theological arguments. I'm shocked by how many older people are on it. Uh, like most of the like kind of hate comments I get on my videos so far have been people that at least to me seem like they're in their 50s or 60s. That just shocks me <laughs> that there is even one person over 50 that's on TikTok that I just can't believe that. Yeah, they're they're all over the place. Uh, you mentioned your YouTube channel and um, part of the reason why I was so excited about this conversation, not that this relates to the topic that we're going to be talking about today, but you had a great uh, little video about the piece of art called Piss Christ. Yeah. And it was, um, it, the message of it was um, really to take away that barrier between the sacred and the mm -hmm. profane in our lives and understanding that Jesus did the same thing. And I thought it was such a, such a unique perspective and, and one that made me a little less nervous about having you on the show because there's not a lot of people who... Uh, you know, our serious theological voices or, or you know, e even podcasters like me that would want to go on a podcast called Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
Well, if you ever visited my seminary, you'd realize uh, <laughs> you'd almost be kind of in the majority when it comes to having a, a, a podcast called Trans Regrets, uh, Snoopy Presents, <laughs> or, or, or how, however you know, however you said it. But yeah, it's uh, that's sort of the world I feel like I I occupy. I really enjoy being with people that are quite different from me uh, and learning from them. And so, uh, yeah, that sort of is how I want to operate in my theology and just in my life in general is learning from people that are quite different from me. You know, I'm a, I'm a straight white guy. And so, you know, there, there's no shortage of those guys doing theology. And so I'm just really interested <laughs> in like, what do other people have to say about theology? Because I, I think what they have to say is really valuable and really important and uh, ultimately is necessary because we're not going to get a full image of what God and the world is like if we don't have all sorts of different kinds of people included. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to be able to, to chat with you. I think, um, I think that's a very Christ-like attitude. You know, uh, Jesus did uh, great things in the margins. Uh, Jesus reached out to people that the rest of society was shunning. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think we can take that lesson and, and learn that there are valuable people in those spaces that we think are dark or scary or uh, at the very, you know, at the very least, you know, kind of weird right. uh, or creepy or, you know, right. whatever. So, yeah. And, and even beyond just like becoming friends with those people, but to actually take seriously what they think about God and the world, I think is another level to that. And, and that's where I, I really am wanting to be at uh, is to really take what queer people have to say about theology, what black people have to say about theology, what women have to say about theology, what even, I would go even as far as what other organisms would have to say about theology, although the way they communicate Mm. that might be a little different. And so, yeah, uh, (laughs) I'm just really curious about what other people, what even other creatures have to say about theology uh, that is, again, different than those who are in power. I think it's really important to keep our minds open uh, to regularly listen to or engage with opinions that aren't like our own, even if they are challenging to us or if they just seem flat out wrong at times because we learn from everything, even the things that we think are kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So uh, I'll tell you what's not stupid. Uh, The seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Well, I don't don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) There, there's a, there's a really so. The reason why I brought this up as a topic is because lately I've been kind of, um, it's been kind of just rotating through my mind this this idea of uh, that these final utterances, and maybe it's just like my general predisposition to being fascinated with death, or my sort of general um, obsession with Jesus's human-like qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing we see a lot of the deity of Jesus in in the way that he transcended all of the insecurities and all of the lack that humans have, mm-hmm. but uh, we didn't see like uh, the the human sweaty foldy parts of Jesus in the Bible. We don't really see mm. that. We don't see that kind of weakness from him until until we see him die, mm. mm-hmm. and uh, in that way. We, we have seven sayings, and they're across all of the Gospels. Uh, one of them is actually straddling Matthew and Mark, and um, I've got Mark bookmarked here, but the, the quotations are virtually identical. Um, so maybe we should just start from the top. What do you think? Yeah, that, that, that sounds great to me. I, I, you know, when it comes to last words among people in history, these got to be some of the most famous and probably some of the most unique ones, you know? Uh, I, I, I don't know what my last words would be, but it definitely would not probably center around forgiveness and, hey, I need some vinegar. And uh, yeah, uh, and, and I would definitely <laughs> would not say it is finished, although that would be kind of hilarious if I did. But yeah. Yeah, it's kind of badass when you think about it. Just yeah, like, uh, it's been, I feel like my my last words are going to be something very dumb, like this hurts. Ouch. Yeah, I don't like this. Yeah, I, I I would probably be you know like hey hey I would you know I'm DB Cooper or something. <laughs> Take that secret with right. you. <laughs> I I don't know what they would be, but you know it would be something dumb like that probably. <laughs> 
the bookmarks that I have for these seven sayings are in my copy of the David Bentley Hart New Testament. Mm. Um, what is your preferred translation of the Bible? Uh, it really depends on what I'm doing. If I'm like preaching or if I'm trying to have like a group of people read from the Bible collectively, I actually really like the Common English Bible. I think it's the most readable one. It's... I, I don't know. It, I just really like uh, the way that it's translated. Um, although I think probably some people would maybe argue it's more of a prayer phrase, which I, I, I think is fine. Um, but if I'm doing like an actual study, uh, this is mostly just because of growing up in or, or going to a, a Christian college and going to seminary, like like all of those types of schools unless you're like Southern Baptist, use the NRSV uh, and specifically mm -hmm. the uh, the new Oxford annotated Bible, uh, which is an NRSV one. So yeah. uh, that's sort of what I prefer if I'm like doing some sort of study, personal study. But yeah, if I'm like, I used to be a youth pastor. So if I was like hanging out with a bunch of youth and we were going to read through the Bible, I'd actually use the CEB. I think it's great. You might be the first uh, guest that I've had to suggest that, but I've, I've flipped through that on my Bible app a few times, and there are times, especially especially with Old Testament passages, that it can be very, very helpful to have somebody just, I, I mean, I hesitate to use the phrase dumb it down for you, but that's kind of what it is. Right. I mean, it's like, I, I don't understand the nuances of a lot of the Old Testament, uh, and so at times it can be very helpful just to have a more simplified version, and you know... For what it is, the message does a fine job with that yeah. too, but it changes a lot, and yeah. it, and it kind of and it paraphrases it in a and I feel like a more gratuitous or creative way mm -hmm. that um, that can try to guide us in a different direction, right. <laughs> or at least guide us in a right. direction. So I guess I'll just start here. Um, I'm at Luke twenty three, and I'm actually going to start back at thirty. Uh, verse 33. Okay. Um, 34 is where the actual saying of Jesus is. It says, And when they came upon the place called Skull, they crucified him there as well as the criminals, one at his right and one at his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And dividing his garments, they cast lots. This seems like... Uh, a very common sense thing that we would expect Jesus to be saying right. in this moment. Uh, it's like, it's weird to say that because it's like literally no human would ever say mm. this, mm -hmm. right? There's very, well, I guess see, the martyrs that followed suit after Jesus were in this same line. I think Stephen said something along the same lines when he was martyred. But like at that time, no one would have expected a human to do this. But based on what we already know about Jesus from the gospels, this feels like, yeah, that's what he's supposed to be saying here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, it's such a, a Jesus-y thing uh, to, to say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, I'm really curious. You, you just mentioned, you know, even the martyrs saying something similar. I, I'm curious, what would it take for somebody to get to this point where they are being publicly executed and their response, their visceral response is, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Uh, you know, the the kind of work that you have to do with yourself over many, many years to get to that point is really something else. Uh, yeah, mm. I, I just it's really interesting. You know, I, I don't want to even say that this is the way, you know, if, if somebody else is being publicly executed, I don't think that that's how everybody should respond. But it is really interesting <laughs> that Jesus is th that that is his response and how much work that would take uh over many many years within yourself to get to that point where you naturally that's just how you respond when you're being publicly executed yeah it's it's not just a painful way to die it's like a humiliating way to die and that humiliation is really um highlighted in that they're like gambling over his clothes um, which is like an odd detail to me because why would they want his clothes? What about his clothes seemed valuable mm. or worth gambling right, over? Right. Um, especially thinking what they thought about Jesus at the time. Right. But it does require a level of um, 
I, I think from an average human to an average human, it would literally require the Holy Spirit's uh, intervention yeah. to, to give you a level of grace like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing, and, and this is not just for this saying, but for all, you know, this whole event of him being executed. But, you know, a lot of Christians want to think that the, the divinity of Jesus is most revealed in his miracles or the resurrection or something like that. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a point to that. But honestly, for me, what is most divine about Jesus is in his birth, so as this little baby, this very innocent, vulnerable baby, and then also in his most vulnerable state as literally being executed by the state. Uh, I just think that that reveals more of the divinity of Jesus, reveals God more than any other parts of Jesus's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like um, a God-man traversing the, you know, the the wilderness or, or you know, walking through different cities and, and healing people and, and drawing crowds and preaching is, I mean, that's miraculous and it's great. But if you go back to the oldest versions of God in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, where we hear about the, the steadfast love or the loving kindness of God, um, it's always God is an outpouring of love. And part of that love is vulnerability. Right. Part of that love is forgiveness. Right. And, and, it, and it's all like that is the most clear version of God that I think Jesus portrays is, yeah, I mean, the, the miracles are obviously amazing. And, and the, the resurrection is an incredible thing that some Christians don't even fully believe right. in. Uh, but the, uh, the love that Jesus showed for absolutely everyone, even those killing and humiliating him, that is the most godlike thing that he yeah. does. It, it, it's really something else. Do you want to take a stab, uh, pun intended, at the uh, the next one? Yes. Yeah, I guess I suppose we shouldn't get too wrapped up in any one of these. We have seven of them to cover. There's, so. a, there's a lot uh, to do. <laughs> there's a lot of ground here. Uh, statement two. It's also in Luke. Uh, it's actually just a few verses later. And it is uh, a conversation, essentially, with one of the two criminals that Jesus is being crucified next to. And I'll start this at verse, uh, let's see, I'll start this at verse 40, say. Um, the other rebuking him said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence? And we have received a return of the things due for the things we did, but this man did nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Amen, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So not only does that confuse some things that people believe about what happened when Jesus died, but it also says an incredible thing about like the ability to repent and be forgiven in, a, in an instant. I mean, I think that's incredible. I mean, it really is the true demonstration, the, the exemplification of the grace of God, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's so, it's interesting because I've heard a lot of arguments from people who are agnostic or um, don't really care to think about faith or God or engage in any way because they say, well, you know, if it comes down to it, I can just like, you know, start believing on my deathbed and then all will be forgiven. And, you know, to be completely honest, that might be true. Uh, based on what we see here, that kind of seems like it might be yeah. the case. Uh, if it's a true, uh, true coming to God, if it's a true opening of your heart and like letting God in, then that might be an option for people. And for some, you know, universalists, that that is like, well, eventually everybody gets there anyway. But uh, this is like a conversation between two criminals who are basically chastising, or one of them is chastising Jesus, and the other is saying, "Dude, like we deserve this. We're the ones that we're the ones that actually did something. This guy didn't really do right. anything." Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big uh, prison and police abolitionist type person, and and to me, this is like exactly that's exactly where my mind goes in a, in a moment like this, where you have mm. somebody who has been convicted of a crime, who you know very well. Uh, you know, did something very, very horrible. And, uh, and to see what, what's interesting is the accountability for 
these two criminals is not them being executed. The accountability happens when one of them realizes, oh, I'm the one who's done wrong. And really at this point, I mean, he knows he's about to be executed. There's really nothing he can do to make it right other than confessing that he has done wrong and that's the best he can do. And, and, and to, you know, plead yeah. for the other man's innocence. Th that to me is really, really interesting. Again, coming from this sort of like abolitionist perspective. Uh, anyway, th that's sort of the, the first thought that I have when, when I see that passage. Yeah, it really speaks to not just uh, the power of confession, but also the ability for a person to turn themselves around, even in the, the most dire of situations, yep. even when they realize what they have done wrong and admitting that they've right. done wrong, that they can, uh, they can change, they can be redeemed, right. whether you see that as a spiritual redemption or you see right. it as like a legal redemption, you know, or sort of a personal redemption. Right. Yeah, I, I, um, I often, well, I once heard, uh, I think it was like Nadia Boltz-Weber that said something along these lines, but you know, the final word of your life has not been written. And I really truly believe that, you know, as much as I really critique certain people, mostly conservative evangelicals, the, the thing is, is the, the hope that I have is that they actually can turn their lives around because I know that to be true for myself. I was the most conservative of conservative evangelicals and my life completely changed. And I know that that can be true for other people as well. And I'm hopeful for that. And the other thing is, I don't think at any point there is a moment where all hope should be given up on any one person. Uh, and no. I think this moment that Jesus has uh, with, um, uh, I'm forgetting his name, is it uh, Barabbas? Is that how you say his name? I always forget to have not Barnabas. I think I think Barabbas was yeah. Barabbas was the one that the the criminal that they let go. Oh, that's right. In that's the right. Place of well, Jesus. They, so they don't yeah. name these the, these two people, right? I don't okay, think so. So the, the one that yeah. then uh, the the one that then confesses to Jesus, the one that um, makes this change right right before he's killed. You know, even in a moment like that, the final word has not been written for for these people, and. That there, there's always possibility for transformation. And I would like to believe that even after somebody dies, that there's still possibility for transfer, transformation of that person, um, even though that might look very different for them once they do die. Yeah. And, and, and different, uh, even different denominations, versions of what a post-death redemption and salvation might look like uh, is, is different. It, it, it's really, really interesting. Our ideas of the afterlife are so disparate, even within the Christian faith. Yes because we know nothing about it. Yeah. We uh, will never know anything right. about yeah, it. Yeah, we, we see, you know, uh, a lot of Christians seem to be really confident about a thing that they've never themselves ever experienced. You know, it's one thing to, to talk about <laughs> sin. I, I think that's something that we can all uh, say that we've experienced, uh, whether there were the victims or the perpetrators of sin. Uh, you know, we, we, we can say a lot about that, uh, but my goodness, to, to have so many concrete opinions and thoughts around the afterlife uh, when none of us who are alive have ever experienced that, something else yeah. <laughs> i mean unless you're like the the heaven for is for real kid um even though you know that that's not true and he got just paid to do whatever he did so i, I don't know if yeah. you know anything about that i was just gonna say except colton burpo that that guy oh is that knows. is that the kid's name that dude i think that's his name yeah. God, he's got to be like Which in is, his 20s now or something right i would guess yeah he's probably a, he's probably a youth pastor he's probably a youth pastor he's probably got a smoking hot wife <laughs> probably in <laughs> seminary at liberty university uh, or maybe he's deconstructed. Who oh knows? Oh my God! Could you imagine that Golden. kid? You imagine the money that that kid would get if he deconstructed. Colton, if you're out there, come on the podcast. <laughs> you're more than <laughs> all are welcome here. Uh, before we move on to the next saying, this notion of uh, Jesus going immediately to the kingdom or immediately going to paradise and welcoming the criminal with him there, after immediately after death. How do you line that up with the sort of commonly held belief that Jesus was A, in fact, just dead for a few days, or that B, Jesus descended into death and preached to the dead, uh, like so many uh, kind of have this notion of? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really don't know if I have too many thoughts around it. Uh, yeah, I, 
the, the one thing that I do like, uh, you know, th- there's the Apostles' Creed that mentions about Jesus descending into hell. Um, yeah. I, I'm not much of a creed person. I didn't grow up in a tradition that really cared too much about him, and I, I haven't been in a tradition that has cared too much about him. But one thing that I do really like about that line in, in the creed is, again, this idea of Jesus descending into hell and releasing all who are there. Again, to say that at no point is there a final word where the last thing about your life is eternal punishment. And I think that is what a liberating concept. Uh, and I think Jesus really mm-hmm. embodies that well. And you, you hear it not only in, in this uh, in this saying, in the second saying uh, on the cross, but also, again, I think it's reiterated in, in that part of the Apostles' Creed. So, yeah. Or I mean, maybe it's the Nicene Creed. I, honestly, I, I don't know the difference between the two. Again, it might be both. It might be both. They're very similar. I can't. I can't really. Yeah, I should know but I don't. I, I, I will um, be honest. I have no idea. And honestly, I just don't care to know. I'm one of those non-credal people. So I just don't really know. But I think, I think it really speaks to that, um, the mobility that um, through Jesus, like the mobility that we have from darkness into light, from sin into, uh, from sin into God, into life. Right. You know, it's, it's nothing is permanent because of what Jesus did like it changed the whole thing. The gates of hell were opened, not in that like scary battle for heaven kind right. of way, but in that way that allows people who were otherwise dead to, to then be saved, right. which is cool. I mean, I think that's really yeah, great. I, I, I love it. Uh, you know, the gates of hell or the gates of hell do not prevail, do not prevail. Yes. So this next saying is an interesting one, kind of strange. And I was chuckling about it, and and before we before we started recording, that that John, the Gospel of John, is like very clear in his writing. He he always like mentions himself as like the disciple that Jesus loved, um, and it's a funny way to refer to yourself. But <laughs> in a way, it's like the most true way, right? Because Jesus loved all of his disciples. So in that way, like all of the disciples' gospels, in some way, should have said something like that, right? right? But, you know, John was the one that really wanted to let you know. (laughs) I've seen I've seen some some theories and they seem a little harebrained to me, to be honest. But I've seen some theories that, oh, Jesus was actually in in like a a homosocial, like not homosexual, but like they were uh, emotionally intimate Mm. in a way like John and Jesus were in like a way that the other disciples weren't. They were physically affectionate in the way that he wasn't with the other disciples. I'm not sure I really buy that. Um, it does read a little bit into what I think what John is getting at here. But there's no denying what's written here that Jesus kind of says, like, hey, someone's got to take care of my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be you, dude. And, and, you know, in that same way, like, this is your mom now. And it's, she's great. You know, you're going to mm-hmm. like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, like... The, the thing that pops up to me in a moment like this, uh, again, this guy's being publicly executed. And I still remember, so I was living in Minneapolis when George Floyd was murdered. And mm-hmm. if you ever saw the video of, of him being murdered, he cries out for his mother. One of his last breaths Oof. was crying out for his mother. And uh, it's, it's a little bit different of a crying out that Jesus is doing, but nonetheless, I mean, yeah. he's crying out for his mother. And my goodness, the the parallels between George Floyd being publicly executed by the state, by an empire, and Jesus Mm -hmm. being publicly executed by the state and empire. And both of their, one of their first responses for both of them is my mother. I I just think there's something to that that is just really powerful. I think that it exposes uh, that real humanity in Jesus um, it also says something about like Jesus's respect for tradition, and and things like that. But there is something so deep like that that um, th- what you mentioned about the video with George Floyd. I mean, it's tragic. It's uh, it's r- impo- Like you can't watch it without just being deeply, deeply disturbed mm-hmm. by what we've allowed ourselves to become as a society. I mean, it's it's really it's fucked up. And, and so to see that and then to, yeah, to read this and go, yeah, I mean, this is, this is where we go in our minds in, in the deepest parts of our humanity, which we are all human. Right. 
uh, no matter what you think about about anything, no matter how how racist you are, you are just as human as the people right. that you are racist against. Right. Um, that we think about our family. Who's yeah. going to take care of my yeah. mom or mom? Like help yeah. me. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember uh, being a little child, oof. and if I was lost or uh, if I got hurt, guess what? My first thing was mom, mommy. <laughs> Where's mommy? Yeah. And it's so amazing. All down, skin your knee. Right. Yep. And it's so amazing that even the son of God, that's that's his first response too. Uh, my goodness, you were mm -hmm. talking earlier about that the, the sayings of Jesus on the cross really review his reveal his humanity. Well, if nothing else, if if there's nothing more human other than when uh, when when you're in, in trouble, when you're in crisis as a child, and crying out for your mommy. That I mean, my yeah. goodness, that that's that is as human as human gets. It's interesting that the next statement, and and I'm a little fuzzy on why it is that we have this idea that the state, like what what order exactly the statements go in, um, because it seems like everybody has this sort of like delineated idea of yeah, this is the next one and this is the next one, and and, and we're jumping between gospels right, now. Right. Um, why we've determined this as the order, honestly, I don't. No, but uh, you go from this assertion of, you know, like, please take care of my mom. Like, I want to make sure that she's okay. And, and, um, and then he goes to, to his father. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and then what he says to his father is very different. Yeah. Right. Uh, and this is Matthew 20, 27, 46 is the, the, uh, the passage in Matthew. I've got Mark uh, bookmarked here at, uh, 15 verse 34 it says at the ninth hour jesus cried out in a loud voice i'm going to butcher this uh eloi eloi lama sabachthani sabachthani uh which being interpreted means my god my god why did you forsake me or why have you forsaken me is how we see it written in a lot of uh, right, translations right. so we have take care of my mom like um, and, you know, he, she's your mom now, like, you know, treat her like family. And then Jesus turns to God and goes, what, dude, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> like, where, where are you, dude? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's tragic. And I've heard it theologized away as this is the moment where sin truly broke through and like sin truly was weighed upon Jesus and this is the moment where you know sin began to be that Jesus began to battle sin essentially and, and began to kill it mm. but he was being separated in this moment being separated from God by sin I don't know that I read I that, definitely don't I, I find <laughs> yeah it's so much easier to read this as Dude, I'm fucking dying yeah. here. Like, can you help me? I, what? <laughs> this right. hurts. It really sucks. Yeah. I, I I totally agree. Yeah, I I just think it's ridiculous. Uh, that 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 type of interpretation. Um, one of the things I just want to say really quick is, if I remember right, that 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 part that you said that you you totally butchered, and I would butcher too. Uh, <laughs> it's I think it's one, if not the only Aramaic that is in in the Bible. Yeah, and it's a quotation. Yeah, and it might be another passage in in, in the Gospels mm -hmm. where there's Aramaic, but I believe that if if it's not the only one, it's definitely up there as one of you know one of two or something like that. And and what do we make of that? Since there's so many quotations, there's so much red text, you know, in in the Bible of Jesus, you know, direct quotations from Jesus, and we know that Jesus spoke Aramaic, right? right? right. So why this? Why is this kept? Yeah, that, that's a good In that language, and everything else is moved yeah, to Greek. I, I've never really understood that either. It's a really good question. The, the only other thing I was going to mention around that is, uh, and this this is uh, me getting back into my Peter Rollins phase from five years ago. Uh, I really love this like idea of Jesus, if we're saying that Jesus is God, that Jesus in this moment is experiencing forsakenness by God and almost in the same, in, in this, like, if you really want to take it to the sort of logical conclusion, Jesus as God is almost like in a way, sort of like experiencing atheism, like God, like this abandonment, oh. right? Like this, this <laughs> abandonment of God and, and that God, if we're, again, if we're making the claim that Jesus is God, God is experiencing the atheism, 
the atheism of God, uh, this abandonment of God. I just think that that's really interesting. There's a lot of thing. There's a lot of ways that you could take that, uh, but I, I think this line really starts to uh, open that up. Yeah, it's it's um we see instances of some hints of doubt from Jesus, uh, and it's not analyzed or or fleshed out in any way really in any of the gospels. But like his prayers in Gethsemane, it's like he. There are moments where it feels like, is this like really what I have to right. do? Do I really have to go through this? Right. And that complicates our idea of Jesus as the perfect God-man who knows everything, right? right? This uh, this omniscience in Jesus that so many people put onto him, I don't think was there. Right. Uh, I, it's it's foolish in in a way to me to read the the passages like that we're reading now. Right or elsewhere, and see that Jesus didn't have questions of his own, right. that he didn't have doubts of his own. And he does this through a quote from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a, is a quote from Scripture. That's something that that Jesus would have known. Right. Um, but he uses this in this moment of crisis, saying, I don't know where you are right now. And that resonates with anyone who has been through difficult times in their lives, still trying to maintain faith. Right but going through, just going through. Right. Yeah. Well, and for that person, even Jesus himself, this person that we say is God, at that moment did not exactly believe in God. Mm. And uh, if you ever experienced that moment in your life, just know Jesus did too. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be a small comfort. You know, as much as that could comfort somebody, uh, I'm not going to prescribe it as it should comfort somebody, but it could. And if it does, great. The next statement is particularly human, I think. And this is another one uh, that this is John 19, 28. This is another one that I've heard so many people create these uh, entire theories about. Uh, what the thirst is and what he's thirsting for and is he thirsting for uh, he's thirsting for life he's thirsting for your faith in him that people didn't believe and that's why Jesus was thirsting at this moment I find it again much easier to read this as the guy was thirsty because he was dying on a cross and he had nothing to drink and he was suffocating on this cross Uh, it's uh, it is again a very powerful, very human moment from this guy who basically made his whole life out of amazing people with his supernatural abilities. Yeah. Uh, did, did you want to re- kind of read the context of that of that passage? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I will. I will here. Uh, 19 and again, I'm in the David Bentley Hart New Testament, so uh, if your translation is a bit different, my apologies. I think they're pretty, his translation is fairly true, but at times he he changes things a little bit. So, after this, Jesus, knowing that everything had now been completed, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, says, I am thirsty. A vessel full of diluted wine was placed there. So, putting a sponge soaked in the wine around a hyssop, they brought it up to his mouth. So Jesus is thirsty, and they give him sour sour wine. This says diluted wine, and I, I that's an interesting uh, translation choice because I've always heard that it was like vinegar. Wine. Yeah, I've, I heard that too, and I was about to say I'm like, you know, I've I've taken shots of apple cider vinegar to like cure my gut or something if if I have a stomachache. But my goodness, I wouldn't if I was thirsty, if I felt dehydrated, vinegar is the last thing I think I would put down my throat. I'd be so pissed. I'd be very upset. Imagine <laughs> that guy thinks he's about to get a nice little sponge of just like fresh, crisp water. <laughs> just, it just tastes as acidic as a vinegar. Oh my God, that would be a surprise. Yeah. It's awful. And I think like I was always taught, like when I was growing up, that that was another act of cruelty. Like this oh. is another thing that they were doing to. Um, another thing that they were doing to like make him suffer or humiliate him. Um, but that was before I'd read the, this translation where it says, diluted and that's, wine. and that's a uh, DBH's so, translation. Yeah. That's the, the DBH. Yeah, I wonder, the, do, uh, I wonder if other translations translate it to diluted wine. 
The uh, I'm in the. I just opened up my NT right Kingdom New Testament, and it says sour wine. Okay. So, and that's kind of what I'd always learned: sour wine or 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 vinegar wine. I wonder what the. And I don't think we have time necessarily to go to Blue Letter Bible and and pick the Greek apart. Well, it, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it is it, interesting. You know, yeah, it, it could be you know translated both ways, and but my goodness, it could it should, the the difference though of diluted wine versus sour wine or vinegar. There's a massive difference between all of those. It says a it says a very different thing about what what the you know what they're trying to accomplish yes, by giving this. Yeah, to I, I agree. I agree. Uh, but I, but and and furthermore, I, I totally agree with you again that th- this is a moment that really review reveals the humanity of Jesus. He just simply was thirsty. I I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean we we've all maybe experienced dehydration, and you're just like. The one thing that you need in that moment is just some water or something to to hydrate you. And uh, yeah, Mm. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure we've all been there. And uh, it is a it's a very (laughs) uh, uh, humbling moment. Put it that way. You know, it's interesting to me that it comes right after his out sort of um, lashing out. My God, why have you forsaken me? I'm thirsty because it makes me think of when I get like I get a little uh, frustrated at like work or something and then i go like when was the last time i drank mm. water oh i haven't had water in like six hours maybe i'm just i'm just like difficult i'm being fussy because i <laughs> because i'm dehydrated right like for whatever reason it's just like coming to mind like imagine like jesus walking around with one of those water bottles that has like those time stamps on it where it's like you're supposed to drink like x amount of water <laughs> yeah. at like 10 a- by 10 a.m or whatever <laughs> yeah he's well probably like my goodness you know i've been Going through this public execution, I haven't had my full my full water bottle yet. I'm still only yeah, my Nalgene's still half full. <laughs> Nalgene. The uh, the only other thing that I I wanted to bring up with this passage is that it um, when we talk about uh, the divinity of Jesus in some way or in a lot of ways being tied up with his vulnerability and his his loving. Um, this puts Jesus on the level of the Samaritan woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that uh, too. We have, we have Jesus in in the in that in that story with um, him providing, saying, "I will give you living water. You will not thirst anymore." And uh, you know, fast forward, and now Jesus is thirsty, and Jesus is now leveled with that woman who was cast out who was on the margins who who jews wouldn't jews wouldn't deal with samaritans at the Mm -hmm. time and and jesus reached out in that moment and now we see that sort of coming full circle and and him being back where she was and i I found that compelling because yeah we all have those moments in our lives where we need somebody to come bring us a glass of water and then there are moments of life where we need to be the ones that bring that water to people should we move to uh I'll stop sermonizing now. Let's yeah. move let's move to six. We're we're on the home stretch. Reach it, Pastor. Uh <laughs> Statement six should be the last one, shouldn't it? You'd think. And then all of a sudden uh, <laughs> all, all of a sudden you got a uh, system of down coming in for that last uh that last little bit. We can talk about that later. Yes. I think we should because I heard that song well before I knew that that was from the Bible. <laughs> And uh, it was uh, funny to learn that. But let's, yeah, let's talk about it's finished. It is finished. Uh, we joked that, I, or at least I joked early on, that that's a very badass thing to say as your Yeah, life. great. Or, or to have as your last words, like, it is finished, like, my mission is complete. Um, what do you think Jesus is actually saying there? Oh, that's such a good question. You, you know, th- th- this is one of those things where I feel like I'm challenged theologically. Uh, so I, I'm one of these people that doesn't believe that Jesus's death on the cross is any sort of atonement uh, for anything. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of people disagree with me. I'm sure most most Christians throughout history would. Uh, and that's fine. Um, th- this is one of those verses that really, I think, challenges that. Like, clearly, there's some mm. sort of greater mission that Jesus that Jesus reveals in this statement than I think gets revealed in any of the other statements uh, of why he's dying on the cross. And uh, yeah, Yeah. it's a little challenging to to some of my theology that really wants to reject any sort of atonement uh, of Jesus's death. 
but yeah, like clearly. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if I really have anything to say beyond that. You might have to edit that part out. I, no, no, that's it's okay. I, I can't if you want me to. But I think what you're saying is this is a, this is, where a lot of us get left with this. I find atonement theory to be challenging. Uh, I find it to be frustrating, and at times it feels like I just throw my hands up in the air and I go, well, it just seems like maybe the the most logical answer to all this is Jesus' death was just a senseless injustice to someone who had nothing but good intentions for the world, and instead, you know, we being humans and power structures being power structures, uh, people wanting to maintain the existing, uh, you know, structures as they are, uh, saw a threat to that, and they killed him. Mm. And that feels reductive to me in a way only because what what would Jesus what other wise would Jesus be saying here mm. there has to be something that it feels like Jesus is saying uh, it, it that he's accomplishing actually the the um, the DBH translation for this one does not say it is finished uh, it says at verse 30 when therefore Jesus had taken the wine he said it has been completed mm. And lowering his head, he delivered up his spirit. We also see sometimes in translations he gave up the ghost, which I think is a very strange translation of that word. But um, it has been completed. So that even further makes me go, there was a mission here. Um, maybe the death wasn't the mission, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but with like in the context of him, you know, about to die, really does seem like maybe that's what he's referring to. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it's I think it's just a really challenging verse, given the theology yeah. that I, I hold. Uh, and, and I think, mm -hmm. you know, beyond that point, there are countless verses throughout all of Scripture that does challenge our theology, and that's okay, right? Like, there there are moments yeah. where Jesus can say it is finished. And I'm like, oh man, this does just not vibe well at all with my theology. That's okay. <laughs> like, I think that's all right. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't think I'm the only person, even the most like biblical literist probably thinks that same, or, you know, they might think that, oh, they're following the Bible to the T even for them. There are moments where their theology is totally challenged by what's happening in scripture. And so I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, but this verse definitely is one of those where it seems like Jesus definitely has a mission uh, that's going. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. It's only in John, though, right? John is a, a very different yeah, type that, of gospel. that particular right? one. John's a very different type mm -hmm. of gospel. Yeah. gospel. There, there are times uh, that, that Jesus and John I really like, and there's times where I get really annoyed with him. Uh, and it doesn't, again, really vibe <laughs> well with my theology. Uh, and, and that's kind of my relationship with John. It's sort of a love and hate type of theology uh, or a love and hate type of relationship I have with the gospel of John. Yeah. Yeah. It's Jesus and John in particular can be a little prickly, I think. And and also uh, high minded. The, the whole gospel of John has a very I've, I've the phrase I think I've heard people use is a high Christology. Right that it puts a very different spin on Jesus, who he was, what he did, and what he was here to accomplish. Right. So, yeah, it, so it makes yeah, sense it why— it makes sense that yes, this comes exactly. from John. I was just about to say, it makes exact sense why this is in John. Uh, and this is one of those times in John where I'm like, ooh, man, I just don't know if I really like the Jesus in this part. But there are other parts of John mm -hmm. that I really like uh, Jesus in. Yeah. Well, the last statement is in Luke. That is interesting. Um, and and it is actually a quote again from a psalm. Uh, this is something that I just learned in preparation for this. I wasn't aware of this in my other readings of, of this gospel, but there is a phrase or a similar phrase in Psalm 31, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And I'll just read this bit in Luke. This is Luke 23, 46. Crying out loud, or crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And saying this, he breathed out his spirit. John and Luke use similar phrases there. Yeah. Breathing out the spirit or like uh, surrendering the spirit. Sounds like there's a physical uh, manifestation 
going on. Like the deaths didn't just look like like a person dying can be jarring in how undramatic it is, like in in how um, it's, it's not there's not usually like this moment of giving up the spirit. You know, you don't see their, their spirit rise up from their, from their body. Usually they just stop breathing right. or sometimes they'll, they'll be like a seizure or something like that. Um, so this phrase, that phrase of, of saying like, breathing out the spirit, I thought was, was interesting, but this is, this sounds to me like a little more of a straightforward saying what Jesus is saying here is like, I'm going, I'm coming back. I'm coming back home. God. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, that his last words technically are <laughs> scripture, <laughs> man. Yeah. <laughs> if, if my last words are, are scripture, uh, you know, kill me before I can, you know, finish the, the phrase because <laughs> what a, what a horrible way for at least me to go out. Maybe, maybe it fits for Jesus, but my goodness, I can't imagine being your last words or just you quote, you know, you pulling out your you know, Bible sword drill and just, uh, you know, Hey, I know more uh, Bible passages than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did write it. Well, yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody should just know it by heart. It's going to be Jesus. He has to. He has to. Yeah, I, I was just thinking it'd be funny if, if your last, like your dying words, if you're going to quote scripture as like some obscure part of the Mosaic Law from like Deuteronomy right. or something like that. <laughs> just something about shellfish. That would be great. Yeah, like don't eat bats. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, it, it, it feels a little a bit one. more too theologically connected. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, again, like, I don't know. Yeah, this is straightforward. Yeah, theologically, I don't know if I really have too many thoughts around this, other than the fact that I love System of a Down. Yeah, Refer it's yeah, a good song. Referencing, right. the, <laughs> referencing this and uh, in, in arguably their, their most famous song. So uh, I'm a big System of a Down fan. And, uh, you know, every time that that part of the song, uh, I think it's like almost like a, it's, it's almost like I think part of the bridge. God, I love just like screaming that out. Yeah, it's great. Great moment. <laughs> yeah, there's the screamy part in that too. I heard somewhere that um, so I think his name is Serge. That he's like a he's like an Eastern Orthodox guy. Now. Yeah, I mean that that whole band is from. Oh, shoot, uh, I should be in big trouble for not remembering this. Um, what what's the uh, what's that country like? Uh, Ar Turkey Ar Ar Armenia. or Hungary or something like that? Or Armenia. Armenia. Oh, the, oh, the Armenians wouldn't like me saying. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You might want to edit that part out. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're Armenian. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the the band, obviously being a very political band, has spoken a lot about the Armenian genocide and uh, you know, just generally a very political band. And uh, I mean, they are arguably the most famous Armenians in the world right now. I mean, they, they really uh, are beloved Armenians. And so, yeah, mm. uh, I'm sure there's maybe some connection there uh, between Serge and him including this, this verse in the song. But anyway, I'm a big System of Down fan. I it's, love it. <laughs> hey, no, yeah, no no judgment here. I think it's a really interesting thing to be able to work any kind of scriptural quotation into a metal song, even a new metal song or however you might. Yeah, that isn't like Christian might, metal, uh, right? Classify. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just very tastefully done. And uh, maybe that'll be our closing song for this episode. I always... <laughs> I always try to pick something relevant to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, this fits. So I'm also looking, I'm look, looking at Wikipedia. Uh, this phrase, uh, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, uh, that has been attributed to the last words of many famous people. Uh, and I just find this, this list fascinating. Uh, I wish it would go past the 1800s because I'd be curious if, like, you know, someone like Marilyn Monroe or whatever would also have the this is their last words. You know, who knows if this is like the actual last words of these people, but Christopher Columbus, my goodness. What? Yeah. Christopher Columbus, same, same last words as Jesus. That seems a little, uh, seems a little, oh. uh, too on the nose and just not that good. Yeah. I'm not sure. I love that, yeah. but uh, I guess, uh, but you know, John, I'm not going to be the judge. Yeah. That's not going to be me. John so. Huss, uh, you know, <laughs> proto Protestant reformation type person. Uh, and Martin Luther, uh, and uh, looks like a lot of other people. But anyway, I found that really interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think it's um, it's a great it's a great set of of 
uh, of last words as well. But it does, it portrays like, this is Jesus um, saying like, all right, like beam me up, Scotty. Like I'm, I'm ready to go. It's done. He already said it's right. done. Right. So you think, like I said, it, you think it, it's done would be the last thing that he said, but instead he goes, all right, let's go. Um, yeah. But it also kind of says, okay, well, Jesus is God in our, in our idea of the Trinity now that Jesus is one with God so that, that Jesus is then like calling upon the father to say, like, take my spirit now is interesting to me, is strange to me. Because, like, why would he need to do that mm-hmm. if he's also God? Yeah. I, again, it's just the the weird... I, I don't know how... I, I'm a Trinitarian for a lot of reasons. One of these reasons isn't trying to figure out, like, how this all works out metaphysically. And I feel like, one, <laughs> you know, this verse really complicates that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I do think it is to say that he clearly has an intimate relationship with the Father. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I, I've always really loved that about Jesus, right? Like he even calls, uh, I, I don't know if it's throughout all the gospels, but he calls the father Abba, right? That's where we get father. Um, but Abba in particular is actually a really intimate way of saying father. It's, it, it actually would be best to translate it as daddy, right? Like that it's kind of carries the yeah. same connotation. And mm. that, that to me is really interesting that, arguably that this would be best to be translated daddy into thy hands. I commend my spirit. I mean, that's the kind of relationship that he has with the father. And I I find that really interesting. Um, And uh, seems very (laughs) Jesus-y too. The last thing that he says is, is something that uh, is this uh, unification with, with the father. And, and that the, the disciples carry on this idea of us being able to have that relationship with God, the father in a familial way and it starts a little bit you know it starts back in the old testament david kind of had that that attitude in a way towards god but really um jesus being human with us opens up that possibility for us to just kind of be family uh, or at least cousins right with god right We're, we're his children but like we're a little we're not the same we're not exactly the same but we can be familiar in that way without it being uh, a show of disrespect right. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously there's, you know, there's so many issues with calling God the father and everything now, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you really take it into its original context, I, I think it's much less a problem. Um, but I understand how it's way more of a problem when you, when you start to project that onto how people should talk about God in, in this context. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful place for us to wrap up, I think, and we're, we're just about at time here. So um, before we go, can you can you give your uh, give some plugs out there, let people know where they can find you? Yeah. Anything else you wanted to, to wrap up? With? Yeah, so you can find me at MasonMeniga.com. I'm sure that will be on the episode notes or description or whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, you can find me there. I, I'm most active on Twitter, so you can follow me on Twitter, and I'm also pretty active on Instagram and now TikTok as well. Uh, so yeah, feel free to, <laughs> feel free to reach out and say hi. And, um, I always love meeting new different people, uh, on social media. And then also, again, I, I think the best thing I do is my YouTube channel. I, I really take a lot of pride in, in the kind of videos that I make. So, uh, if you're interested in exploring different types of theologies out there in the world, uh, that you might not know about the, my YouTube channel might be a, a good stop for you. Absolutely. Everyone go check that out. Mason, thank you so much for joining me. This was a lovely conversation. I think we we covered all the ground we needed to cover, and I think we, I think we touched on some really interesting things here. I, absolutely, it is finished. It is finished. <laughs> <laughs> this week's poem is by A. R. Ammons. I wonder if I know enough to know what it's really like to have been here. Have I seen sights enough to give seeing over? The clouds I've waited with white October clouds like these this afternoon, often before and taken them in. But white clouds shade other white ones gray. Had I noticed that, and though I followed the leaves of many falls, have I spent time with the wire vines left when frost's red dyes strip the leaves away? Is more missing than was never enough? I'm sure many of love's kinds absolve and heal, but were they passing rapids or welling stirs? 
I suppose I haven't done and seen enough yet to go. And anyway, it may be way on on the way before one picks up the track of the sufficient, the world round reach, spirit deep, easing and all. Not just mind answering itself, but mind in things apprehended at once as one, all giving, all way. Not a scrap of question holding back. Thanks, everybody.